Hi there, you're listening to Commissioning Conversations, the podcast brought to you by Broadcast Intelligence. Hi, and welcome to a special episode of Commissioning Conversations. I'm Alice Redman, a senior media researcher at the Commissioner Index, and a few weeks ago, myself and my fellow media researcher, Heather Fallon, joined the team at our sister site broadcast to chat about our new report. The report, titled Working with the New Streamers, is out now and is an in-depth look at the commissioning strategies of the newest SVOD services, Apple TV+, Disney+, HBO Max and Peacock. In the report, we also talk about a few of the more upcoming streamers, Discovery+, Paramount+, and Star, which is Disney's latest offering. Just so you know, we recorded this podcast before Disney's Investor Day, so my speculation on Star is slightly incorrect. Star is going to appear as a section of the Disney Plus streamer and be part of the core offering of Disney+. Plus. So listen on to find out more about the new streamers. So hey guys, thanks for joining me. Thank you so much for having us, very excited. Thank you. So before we get stuck into things, I thought we would maybe just chat quickly through Broadcast's Commissioner Index, which is uh, something that you guys both work on. And I wondered if before we started, we could have a kind of quick sum up of what you guys do for the site. Commissioner Index pretty much does what it says on the tin and is an index of commissioners. So we cover at the moment the UK, the US and the Asphalt market and we profile commissioners that you need to know about and how to pitch to them. Uh, We also interview the commissioners, we collect data on all the latest green lights and we currently have a programme database of over 18,000 programmes. So that also helps build a bit more of an in-depth understanding of what's going on. So clearly we're in a very different place to when Apple TV, the kind of first SVOD of the new SVODs out of the gate last year. Uh, We're in a bit of a different place to when it hit uh, in November of 2019. So I kind of wanted to gather from you guys, how do you think those kind of early predictions have fared from, you know, last year when everything was landing to this time of COVID? Um, How how has each kind of player stood up against its predictions before before they launched, I guess? Well, um, I think Apple TV Plus came in making a lot of noise. It spent the reported £6 billion on programming before even launching. And they had a crazy star-studded lineup and they were definitely in there to make a really big name for themselves. But their kind of core strategy was to have a very boutique curated slate of a small number of originals rather than a large library and I think that strategy has maybe not served them as well under COVID purely because they've had to suspend a lot of their programs this year and I think that that's probably meant that this year has been a little bit tougher than they hoped. I think churn is definitely something that we've seen as an issue across all of the new streamers in that they have lots of commissions that are really exciting and you know lots of aspirations for having a robust slate of original programming and being so new they have all had issues with producing enough content because they basically started programming and commissioning from when they were announced and you know that this was only a couple of years ago now so you can't have that volume of content in that time but what I think is really interesting is um, Discovery Plus, which kind of, you know, we kind of knew something was happening with the Discovery SVOD, which was originally D-Play. But the kind of quietness of the productions they've made for Discovery Plus and then them saying it's coming out on January 4th and we actually already have all of these shows ready and in the bank, I think is quite interesting. Lots of people have 
you know, watched all of the content on Disney Plus now already because there's the original content, that is, not the archive content, because there's not that much. There wasn't, you know, a huge swath of it at launch. There was just kind of these really nice curated shows that were tentpole and bringing in the subscribers like The Mandalorian. But in actual fact, you know, you can finish those within a couple of weeks. So Disney launched globally as Europe went into lockdown. That led to a huge uptake in subscribers, obviously. It was a bad time for the world, good time for Disney. Um, how has the pandemic shaped the asphalt market since these new players have joined? If you take kind of Disney and Quibi as two sides of the best of the pandemic and the worst of the pandemic, you know, by Q3 of 2020, Disney had, yeah, they had 60 million worldwide subscribers, which was one of their goals for the end of the 2024 fiscal year was to ha- have a mass between 60 and 90. So they've hit their 2024 target in Q3 of 2020. And what was really good about the Disney Plus thing is that it came out at a time where people wanted that nostalgic comfort viewing. And I think that probably really helped with getting that many subscribers. You know, it's like, you're in a global pandemic. Here's this new streaming service and you can watch all the shows from your childhood. I think that was just such an exciting proposition. And then on the other side of the coin is Quibi because it just, it didn't manage to survive. I think it was, it's sad that, um, you know, they poured so much money into content and they got all of these big names and big talent and because of its proposition was on the go <laughs> content and no one was on the go, that that didn't work. And obviously there's some argument in, was the actual proposition of Quibi flawed from the start? Would anyone have really, even if we had like had been mm. on the go, would anyone have used it actually? So conveniently, maybe if, if it hadn't been a global pandemic, maybe it still would have fared the same. And But now they get to blame COVID-19. <laughs> yeah, I'd certainly be interested to see how things fare, hopefully next year, uh, when we're not all as confined to our living rooms and whether things like the amount of original content versus acquired libraries of content, how much that will actually make a difference in the long term versus this year, because it's such a weird year for all of these streaming services to have launched, that it's almost difficult to tell how much that will actually impact them in, say, five, ten years' time. So the new streamers are certainly very deep-pocketed, backed by huge media conglomerates. Now, they've entered the UK indie sector with quite a bang, um, and I wondered, kind of, what what is the appetite from these streamers in the UK? Um, and kind of, how is how do you think that they impact the UK indie sector? I think Mm. if you're a UK indie listening and thinking about these new streamers, if we take the kind of main four that we've identified as the ones to watch, so Apple TV+, Plus, HBO Max, Disney+, and um, Peacock, they offer kind of an opportunity for everyone. So, you know, you range from Disney+, Plus, which focused on the very family-friendly content. And I think the most success that we've seen out of the UK has been through the National Geographic Disney Plus Commission. So, you know, they have natural history more than anything. It's been so successful. They've had, you know, there's been three programmes coming out of the UK from Arrow Media, Blink Films and Utopia, which has been, you know, huge for something that, for a service that has this giant studio behind it because it has the 
20th century Fox, it has ABC, it has Disney, it has all these studios and like, and some of the worry with these new streamers is they've got so much studio power behind them. Is there really any opportunity outside of working with a studio? And I think the Disney plus Nat Geo pipeline is really, you know, one to watch and one to focus on mm. if you're looking to get onto Disney plus. And I mean, not all of them are very, not all of them necessarily are, you know, seeking UK content. If you take something like Peacock, which has no international plans as yet, you know, firmly, they will only go up to the co-production level. They won't fully commission. If you take something like Peacock, I think there's more of a chance in the acquisitions and co-production space with Peacock, which means that you, that offers a different area of commissioning and a different way to um, make shows with one of the new streamers. I think I'm definitely inclined to agree that there's actually, and I think the more that we worked on this report that we've been writing, the more opportunities that I've been able to see across different levels of UK indie sectors. But I think it very much depends on the streamer that you're talking about. Because say, as I mentioned previously, with the amount of spending that Apple is doing, you know, if you land a commission with them, especially now that they've hired people like Jay Hunt and Alison Kirkham, you're definitely going to be very pleased to see that commission come through your door. But at the same time, that I think is for a slightly more high-end indie with a much bigger pocket that can secure, you know, high talent. HBO Max, for instance, has onboarded a lot of projects with UK broadcasters and has given those projects extra funding and has helped them kind of launch worldwide in a way that they might not have been able to otherwise and has really helped people achieve their creative vision by giving them that extra source of income and a little bit of extra funding for their projects. So I think you have to know what you're looking to get out of those partnerships with streamers, but at the same time, if you can get them and you know where to find them, then you're in a really good position to take a commission to a new place. Going kind of uh, revisiting Disney for a second, there's quite a big announcement on the horizon. And I wonder if you could kind of explain to our listeners, what, what's the shape of that? Talk, talk me through that. So basically, Disney Plus has this family friendly image. And I think from, you know, studying them and studying their content, you know, they're not, it's not just children's content, but the adult content has to be that if you know, your five-year-old kid clicked on it and started watching it. Although the subject matter might be adult, there'll be nothing that will, um, you know, traumatise them. They're not going to see, you know, adults having sex or smoking or, you know. But there is, a, there, adult subject matter can be touched on. Um, I don't think we can say Disney Plus is a completely child, you know, completely children-orientated streamer. Um so shows like High Fidelity, which was greenlit for Disney Plus originally, um, have moved across to Hulu. Um, Hulu is now kind of being positioned as the more adult offering within the Disney Sword portfolio. And you know, since for since the launch of Disney Plus, there's really been rumblings across the industry of Hulu launching internationally, and that's been really exciting for indies. And I know broadcasts ran a story about. Liam Keelan, the UK-based Disney commissioner, briefing Indies on um, what he wanted in terms of factual content for Hulu. And now it's emerged that this global Hulu, international Hulu, will actually be called Star, which is tapping into a brand that Disney, ha- Disney own over in India 
called Hotstar. Lots of reasons for this, but I think the largest one is just the Comcast tie-in because Comcast still retains 30% of Hulu. Um, maybe it might be a bit more, but th- yeah, roughly 30% of Hulu. And you know, if they launch international Hulu and those that stock rises, when Disney comes to buy it back, that's going to be a far more expensive buyback for um, Disney. Um, so they're launching Star internationally as the adult offering to Disney Plus. So I predict, I mean, obviously we've got this um, investor day coming up, but for me, I predict that it will, Star will basically just be international Hulu without the Hulu name. And it's going to have the ability to bank on all of the archive shows across ABC and FX and things like that. So, you know, I think a streamer where you can watch Grey's Anatomy and American Horror Story and all of that under one roof that's also linked to your Disney Plus account is going to be a really exciting prospect. And it will mean if I think they'll probably they'll bundle the they'll bundle the service and it'll probably mean that you know you get the best of both worlds out of a joint subscription. I mean, for for me, I feel like that would that would totally sell me because Disney Plus, as it stands, has not really attracted me. But yeah, give me the rest of that stuff, and I'm totally here for it. So I think in the UK we watch shows that are from ABC or FX, and because they're acquired by channels, we don't know really know where it comes from. Like I would never look at Grey's Anatomy and think, oh, that's from ABC until you know having this job and having that knowledge. You know, but as a standard consumer. I wouldn't have a clue. But if Grey's Anatomy, I'm outing myself as a big Grey's Anatomy fan here, but if it suddenly disappeared <laughs> off Amazon Prime but was on this Disney streamer, of course I would consider, you know, making the switch. And it's got all this other content offerings that are premium content that people really love over here. You know, American Horror Story is huge over here. I think that's definitely a really exciting proposition. It'd be interesting to see what Disney do with their... Um, with their content deals at the moment because obviously all of the ABC and FX content is acquired by UK broadcasters now and I think it'll be really interesting to see how those deals if those deals continue or if we suddenly see all of Disney's content being removed from the likes of Sky and Amazon and Netflix in the UK moving forward. These four that we're talking about mainly today aren't the only streamers that have hit the market in the last sort of 12 months. And we also quickly spoke about Quibi and Discovery Plus. Are there any other ones that are on your radar? Got things like Paramount Plus, which I think is really interesting and something that UK producers should really keep an eye on. Um, Paramount Plus is basically the new name for what was CBS All Access. um, And it's offering kind of the best of the Viacom CBS portfolio. Um, and it's got some new exciting things like a Godfather, a behind, a behind the scenes Godfather drama basically is what it is. And, um, you know, things that really, again, tap into, tap into what Paramount is widely known for. Paramount own, you know, the Paramount was the studio for the Godfather films. And, you know, that's really interesting that they're using that, those kind of IP propositions for, for that. So Heather and Alice, for the UK indie sector, what do, you, what do you both kind of think is the key thing for people to know about these new streamers? I think above all, the key thing is to know how targeted their audiences are. And that's something we found with this. Whereas you have your Netflix and Amazon who are very, you know, want to be, 
more so Netflix and Amazon, but want to be every type of programming for everyone. The news streamers are very targeted in who they, what their audience is and what their programming is. And I think arming yourself with the most of that knowledge, as much as that knowledge as you can, just sets you in such good stead to pitch them because HBO Max is, you know, targeted towards the 18 to 34 with a female skew. And you wouldn't be misguided to assume that when you're pitching to HBO Max, you should take them something that, that is very HBO-like. But it's actually not. They're trying to go for the non-HBO audience at HBO Max. So having that kind, those, that kind of knowledge, I just think is really invaluable, to be honest. And that's something we found with our, with, while we've been producing our latest report, which is called Working with the New Streamers which basically advises indies on how best to approach and work with these new streamers. Because ultimately, you, in like with every pitch, you need to arm yourself with as much information as you possibly can, uh, in the same way that if you were going to go and pitch to the BBC or Channel 4, you know what makes a BBC programme or a Channel 4 programme because you hear the commissioners talking about it, Edinburgh or Sheffield or wherever it may be. And I think the streamers are slightly more shrouded in mystery. I think especially, I think the the streamers are slightly more shrouded in mystery and just digging up as much information as you possibly can and going in knowing exactly what you want and telling them exactly what you're going to pitch is the best way that you can get a green light from those streamers. So you guys have got uh, a report coming out, is that correct? Yes, we can confirm that we have a report coming out. So for the past couple of months, we've been looking at Disney+, Plus, HBO Max, Apple TV+, and Peacock, and kind of analysing their current strategy, as well as thinking about what they are going to want in the future in order to best kind of inform producers who are looking to take pitches or co-productions or even acquisitions to these streamers. We also looked at some of the smaller and new upcoming streamers. I say smaller, they're huge. Um, but the more the kind of more emerging streamers, which are Discovery Plus, Paramount Plus, and the Hulu slash Star offering that we spoke about a bit earlier, we you know we interviewed people mainly off record actually, which was also very interesting. An interesting difference with the new streamers is that even when we had you know people talking to us, it was all still shrouded in mystery. So we looked at the background of each of the streamers, so why they launched, how they launched their global prominence. We've listed the content team of each of the streamers. We've looked at their programming strategy, as well as using the broadcast intelligence program index data, which we pulled all of the commissions since since the streamers have been announced. And they pulled all that data and kind of analysed that, which has been really enlightening, I think, in terms of, you know, who's, who's, kind of gone the Netflix route and concentrated on big scripted originals first or who's launched with an actually 50-50 split between scripted and non-scripted. And we also spoke to some producers who have worked with the streamers to kind of see how they found working with the streamers and then we've ended each chapter with a case study of, of the programme which looks at how and why that commission worked well for that streamer. Kind of on that point then I know as avid listeners of the News Wrap podcast, uh, you'll be familiar with our What We've Been Watching segment. Now, talking about those kind of case studies, I wondered if you maybe wanted to tell me or enlighten me 
to you guys' favourite show from the new streamers, because they're kind of new. That might not be something that has TX yet. So if you can't think of your favourite show, what are you looking forward to coming out? Oh, question. <laughs> Heather, you go first. Uh, so I'm actually really looking forward to the Gossip Girl reboot at HBO Max. As a fan of the old series and also hitting that 18 to 34 female skewing demographic, <laughs> I I think it looks really exciting and I really like that it's taking a look at a more modern New York and they've got a much more diverse cast than they did last time and they're going to delve into some different storylines exploring like LGBTQ themes and race and other aspects of life that maybe weren't quite so touched upon last time but I think it still looks like it's going to have that feel good kind of warm bath telly that everyone likes so much. Thinking back on the original Gossip Girl yeah that was not that that didn't really nail diversity. No, No no still a good watch but I think that the reboot has a lot of promise. Did you know that Dan was always going to be Gossip Girl from the beginning? <gasps> people might not know. <laughs> Sorry. It's years old now. That. <laughs> I feel like people should know that Dan was Gossip Girl in the most disappointing finale. Known no, to, to be honest, I had absolutely no idea. I watched it completely in the dark. I was really rubbish at breaking that down. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. And Alice? I am a known big Disney fan. And I think my favourite thing, I watched this during the pandemic and it was just a nice little warm bath, um, was the Imagineering story on Disney Plus, which basically was a docuseries which told um, the story of how the Walt Disney theme parks came to be. So it started in the, I think like the 40s maybe, very early on with the first park in California took you through to you know the opening of the parks in Japan and things like that which were some of the most recent um and I just found it really interesting because to be honest the Imagineers are literally you have to be kind of like an engineer and a creative and you're kind of they've just got such a wonderful job being like I'm just going to make a whimsical ride about Frozen and you know that's their whole job and I was like damn I wish I was cleverer to have that job but it was just a night. It was just a nice watch in a time when the world was chaos. Basically, mm-hmm. I might not have, you know, March twenty twenty. I might have not had toilet roll, but I had a documentary about the Disney theme parks to get me through. <laughs> and that is the secret of Disney success. <laughs> it is. That's why I am one of their sixty million subscribers. <laughs> I also quite excited for the Fresh Prince of Belair remake because they've made it Mm. they're remaking it as a dark and gritty tale um and it really interestingly came about because some filmmaker made like a fan video retelling it in that way and then Will Smith went and met him and was like oh wow this was like an amazing take on the Fresh Prince of Belair and then there's a whole YouTube series well, from Will Smith's legendary YouTube where he goes and meets them and is like, oh, this is great. And then six months down the line, he's like, I'm calling them to tell them the good news that it's been commissioned by Peacock. So, you know, if you're interested, you can watch that whole commissioning story on YouTube. <laughs> yeah, I think if you're going to reboot something, if you're going to 
use an old piece of established telly and you want to reboot it, then you definitely have to take it on with a 2020 sensibility. You can't just remake an old show that you can feel the age of it. You have to look at how you can make it feel relevant for now. Great. Well, thanks, team. We'll wrap it up there. Thanks so much for joining me. I hope you guys have had a nice time on the podcast today. I've had a lovely time. Yeah, thanks for having us, Hannah. It's been lovely to be on my second favourite broadcast podcast after Commissioning Conversations, the podcast that me and Heather work on. And if you are a fan of Commissioning Conversations, we've got an exciting announcement that it's coming back in January 2020 after a bit of a hiatus with a new revamped format. Thank you for listening. You can find our new report working with the new streamers on broadcastintel.com forward slash reports. We'll be back next week with more, so don't forget to subscribe on Spotify, Apple, Podbean or YouTube. In the meantime, the latest commission briefs can be found on broadcastintel.com.